Hello, hello. This is Alex Burkett, and you're listening to the Long Game Podcast. Typically, we have long-form conversations with the thought leaders, the speakers, and the experts that you'd love to meet, and we have the free-flowing, long-form conversations that are better suited for a conference happy hour. However, this episode is part of our Kitchen Side series, where we take you behind the scenes at our agency, Omniscient Digital, and we show you how the sausage is made. In this episode, we are discussing content editorial calendars, how to plan out your content strategy onto a time series, onto a roadmap that you and your team can collaborate on. In full transparency, we actually wanted to write about this topic. We wanted to produce an article on how to build a content editorial calendar, mainly due to its search volume and its relevance towards our business. The thought goes, those producing enough content to warrant a content calendar may very well be a good fit for our our business. So to produce an, a unique article, however, we wanted to tap our agency co-founders, uh, yours truly included, to get insights and quotes for the article. So this episode, in a way, is a glimpse at the research, the behind the scenes, uh, that our content and growth marketer, Carissa, has done to produce the article itself. So the article actually is now viewable on our blog. It's completely published. Uh, it has quotes from this interview that you're about to listen to. So you get to see the behind the scenes stuff now. And uh, you can view the blog at beomniscient.com forward slash blog, and it should be one of the most recent ones. So without further ado, enjoy Kitchen Side Episode 2, How to Create a Content Editorial Calendar. The content calendar is like the execution part of the content strategy. Um, In my experience, there's like the research component and then there's like the planning component and the calendar is the part that kind of holds you accountable to publishing your work, um, puts a certain cadence on it, helps you establish those, yeah, that timeline that eventually contributes to like how frequently and how well you can meet your goals. Um, See, I kind of wrote some notes down. The second part, how they can differ. So obviously we talked about how there's change, like a change in the verbiage of like editorial calendar versus content calendar. To me, they're the same thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But like I said, it's kind of like a Venn diagram of sorts. Like content calendar can encompass marketing campaigns, videos, course schedules, other stuff. Whereas like maybe editorial is just used for the blog. But for me, the calendar component of the phrase is probably what's more important. And that's why those words are kind of interchangeable to me. Um, But I guess they can differ in terms of like, you know, everything from the cadence you choose to what kind of content you include to whether or not you include maybe other teams. Um, Like maybe you incorporate how frequently your service team publishes like their knowledge base articles. Um, Maybe that's how they can differ between companies. I think the content calendar or editorial calendar, I I look at those as similar terms. It's like the handshake between strategy and execution. So um, it's the project management component of a content marketing program. You do all the research, you build your kind of roadmap, you prioritize. And then before you start writing and publishing and executing and doing the actual work, you put it together in some sort of calendars to get visibility and to align different team members potentially. So it's definitely the project management component of the work. And I I look at it like there's corollaries in different industries and roles. So a product manager, it's like their feature roadmap. Um, 
or for conversion rate optimization, which is my world, you, you would go and do a bunch of research, qualitative surveys, um, you know, quantitative data analysis and come up with a list of hypotheses and prioritize them. And then you would have a roadmap by which you would operate when you're running experiments and experimentation roadmap. That's what a content calendar is to me. It's kind of a communications tool more so than it is a strategic tool. You've done the strategic work first and then you need something to communicate. Even if it's just you operating alone, I still like to have something that I can look to and say like when I should be publishing because it gives me accountability to say, oh, I should be publishing two posts this week and here's the two posts that I had planned. And things can be flexible too. Like sometimes like content calendars are very rigid and sometimes they're more flexible, but it gives you... Um, you know, something week by week to say, like, are we, are we publishing these posts that we planned on? And if not, like, why, what's going wrong? Right. That's great. Yeah. yeah I love that. You said the handshake between strategy and execution. <laughs> I'm reading a Matthew McConaughey book and he speaks in like these funny ass metaphors from like, like Texas style. And like, I'm literally like, my mind is starting to think that way now. And it's, I love it. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> Okay, so you brought up um, that sometimes they can be rigid and sometimes they're more flexible. When would they be more agile versus rigid, I guess? Hmm. I would say that depends on like the um, the ethos of the person making the content calendar, but I think Ali would probably have a better answer there since you work with clients more closely. I would say like they're a very flexible tool like for if I was creating a content calendar physically, I would create it like with pencil and not pen in that kind of sense. But I do think that they should be rigid in that you should like honor what you've planned. So the example that Alex had, it's like, if I'm going to tell myself I'm publishing two pieces this week, maybe it doesn't matter what they are, but I'm going to stick to the schedule I chose. Um, so I do believe they should be rigid in that sense. Like they're not just a suggestion. They're definitely, um, especially if you create one for an entire program, like they have, that accountability factor that it's important to honor. Um, or I guess if it's part of a larger campaign, the topics themselves would be rigid too. I think it maybe depends on your end goal um, or what you want the content to achieve. We stuck to a pretty rigid schedule when we had our like content promotion calendar for the course. A little bit off topic, but I still think that that's maybe one example of when a content calendar should sorry, <laughs> should be um, more rigid. Um, but that's my two cents. Usually with clients, they like to stick to a schedule. But if we have to like switch around some terms, switch around some pieces, um, that's not a huge deal. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's, there's idealism and realism. And like, I think if you could plan everything up front, and like everything would work according to your plan, that would be awesome. Because if you have everything planned on a content calendar, you can coordinate the other pieces, such as social media promotion, mm -hmm. product launches, um, you know, things with different departments that are going on and get everything aligned, all your vectors aligned. But the world doesn't work that way. You'll often have article ideas that come up on the moment, and you can get those published quickly. If you're working with external yeah. writers, guest guest writers, stuff like that. Maybe you want to slot one of those in if like maybe one of your in-house writers hadn't had the time to put together like a long form piece that, that they were working on. So there's things that come up and you still want to maintain a, a publication frequency and cadence that is, um, I think that's the, that's the thing that I look at is like the inputs, not necessarily um, uh, which inputs, I, I guess like I, I look at the inputs and in quantitative numbers. So like, are we publishing four posts per week? Which four posts doesn't matter as much as like that we're actually getting those out the door. Um, like when I was at CXL, we, we, we had a content calendar and I would plan things out two to three months. And like, I would, I would say like, 
on December 2nd, we're going to publish a, a topic or the topic is going to be, um, you know, can you run multiple AB tests at the same time? But there's, there's the possibility that I don't fin- if I was assigned that article, I don't finish it in time because maybe I'm working with people who are like supplying quotes and maybe I've got a guest post that I could publish on that day instead. So I'm not going to like maintain rigidity towards that calendar just because on December 2nd, I'm supposed to publish this topic. I'm going to push, can I run multiple AB tests at the same time to December 3rd and publish that guest post on the 2nd because the guest post is ready and my article is not and I can further improve it. So there's a little flexibility points like that. It, it's it's like the Mike Tyson thing. Like um, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And like, it would be wonderful if everything like was aligned and your writers were always on time, but um, things come up and um, I, I like to be, be flexible. And there's also opportunities and flexibility. So it's not always like because you're behind um, or behind the eight ball. It's because, um, you know, maybe, maybe you have like a topical thing, like maybe, you know, COVID hits and you're like, well, shit, we need to like completely change our editorial approach and write some stuff that um, factors in that uh, thing, that big thing that's happening in the outer world, because that's what our customers are, are caring about right now and not mm-hmm. what we had planned three months ago. Yeah, so well, it can also provide upside by being flexible. Right. Awesome. So uh, you guys kind of touched on this, but maybe if there's anything else you want to add, can creatives benefit from having strategic processes in place? Like, does it pigeon them in? you know, pigeonhole them or does it actually help them in the long run? Someone with a really creative mind who needs to like have some kind of process. There is no yeah. freedom without some order. You have to have yeah. constraints in order to have the chaos uh, uh, <clears throat> in, in, in like a contained way. That's my opinion. Anyway, uh, creatives are going to flourish under those conditions, but not, not when it's like, um, uh, I don't know, like you, you don't want to cage people in too tightly, but having some sort of constraints, I think, allows for the creativity and freedom to flourish. Yeah, for me, having a strategy and a process allows me to know what to say no to, which I'm not very good at. Um, so kind of in the same vein, it's like if you prioritize everything, like you actually are prioritizing nothing. So just being able to like have a roadmap and be like, okay, I can work as much as I want, as wide as I want, as creatively as I want, but like on these three to five things or whatever the number might be. So, and for me, it's also accountability. Sometimes I just kind of can be like a, like a, like a squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. And I'm like, this seems fun. No, I'm going to work on this now. And like, that's definitely one of my weaknesses. And I do really well on something until maybe something else looks exciting or something else comes up. Um, so for me, it's also just account- accountability. To, yep, to that latter point, personally. it's like, what is the stereotype about creatives? It's that they're usually perfectionists and get lost in the wilderness of their own mind, trying to perfect every little piece. And then they never end up shipping because like a, and a piece of work is never actually done. So a content calendar gives you deadlines and it gives you an excuse to say this may be 95% complete, but I've got to ship it anyway. So I think yeah. it, it, it it's a forcing function for a creative brain to get them out of their own um, perfectionist traps and, right. and by their own, I mean my own, because if I'm going to have an unlimited timeline and this happens on my own website, alexburkett.com, if I'm like publishing something, I never have constraints. So like I'll work on an article for six months and like, yeah, maybe that's a good thing, but I probably could have published 40 X the content in, in that time. And I'm sure the results would have been much better. And we're running businesses too. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, to yeah. get the maximum value from the program, like you, you got to have like deadlines and ship things without yeah. some 
limitless tunnel for finishing a, a single article. That's a great point. That's yeah, I, I really wanted to talk about that in the article because there's also the psychological um, factor when people feel like they're in chaos. It's like even harder to get creative and tap into that creative part of your brain. That also- you should put um, this concept of uh, what's the uh, Parkinson's law. What it's like it? the time that you allot to a task, uh, the, the time that it takes to complete a task fills oh, yeah. up to the time that you allot to it. So if you give yourself three months to complete something, you'll take three months. But if you give yourself three hours, you'll find a way to get it done in three hours. So I think it's a good forcing function to get more work done and more things yeah. out the door. True. And then also, yeah. like I was mentioning before, like maybe it's good that I can work on a piece for three months. Maybe the article becomes better. But like, really, what's the point of diminishing returns? And what's the marginal yeah. ability of increased perfection when you tweak it for that much longer? Because there's probably a point at which the quality is like, it can always be better, but it's probably going to be good enough to get the results that you need. And then yeah. anything after that is just extra a cost center, you know, and there's yeah. no additional upside to adding another image here and, and chopping well, up this paragraph here and all that stuff. That I think too, that having that content calendar in place helps you link each project or post to a certain goal because otherwise it just has the goal of being as good as it can be, which to people mm-hmm. like us never actually happens. Um, so having it be like, I need it to do X, Y, Z, it kind of gets you out of your own way. And then you kind of know, not that you want to only create to like the minimum, but at least it helps you know where that is. And so it creates more of that like completion range than like infinity, which I always try to write to infinity and it just never happens. Um, so not only do deadlines hold you accountable, but like the goal itself of like what you're trying to do for yourself or for your business um, kind of gets you out of your own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great point. Awesome. Um, how does a content calendar align a team around a single concept, vision, or direction? I would say, going back to my last answer, it pinpoints those goals, whether it's like blog posts for organic traffic, courses for sales, you know, if your content calendar does include a variety of types of content. Um, it's kind of a single source of truth in a way. I think a lot of times in my experience, people do work in like silos and while they're out there, you know, meeting their own goals, which is great. It avoids overlap, cannibalization in your content, maybe some competing like noise on social, depending on how you're promoting your content. Um, yeah, it just kind of pulls everything together in like a single place. Mm-hmm. Well, it, I don't know. So ideas come from different places, with different companies. At Omniscient, we do a singular roadmap based on mostly SEO and then some thought leadership and, and topical strategic ideas that may not fit to keywords. So ours may be a little bit more top down, but in some organizations, you have writers coming to the table with their own ideas. <clears throat> and if you have a content calendar that everybody has shared access to, then you can see what everybody else is working on. Yeah. So there's less duplicated effort. Similar example in CRO, just to give an analogy, if everybody's running A-B tests on different pages, there may be examples that like this person on the paid acquisition team is running an experiment that is very similar to something you want to work on. So then you have this cross collaboration of potential to see like what they've already done and that can inform what work you're doing. So if Ali's writing an article on the best content marketing software in 2021 and I'm writing or I thought it would be a good idea to write an article on the best content analytics tools 
you know, maybe there's crossover, maybe there's not, but then we can at least discuss that and make sure that they're hitting different keywords and they're unique enough to warrant two different articles. So it gives you visibility into what other people are working on, which I think is really important as your team grows. It's one thing if you have one writer or freelancers who you're assigning articles to, but if you have Mm -hmm. a content team or multiple blog properties, like if you're Shopify or HubSpot and you have multiple blogs, then it's incredibly important to see what other people are working on. Because at HubSpot, you have a services blog and a marketing blog, and there may be a topic that fits on both of those. And to communicate that is incredibly important. Yeah. Yeah. Tying everything together. Mm-hmm. And I guess like maybe we could talk about this in, in like the Tommy Walker sense, right? Like if you have a content editorial calendar and it's mapped out across time, then you could do cool things like plan themes. So mm-hmm. I don't know that that's a necessity. Um, but what he does is I believe in like four week or six week cycles, he plans out a whole roadmap based on the same topic and looks at it as almost like a play or like a movie or like a television series where it's got like act one, act two, act three, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it builds upon the knowledge of the previous weeks. So I don't think that's something that most content organizations do or most companies do, but, but when you map things out, it gives you the possibility to do cool things like that. Right. And then it's that bigger narrative, yeah. and all the pieces, a part of it that make the reader want to read more. That's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. And I know that one of our other questions is about like, pulling together other departments or other initiatives. Right. But I think having that single source of truth of the content calendar helps you understand like what is the most like rigid stuff that's going on? Is there like a company-wide like product launch? Is there a campaign that that's going to take precedence because it's already been scheduled out? There's multiple like co-marketing campaigns or something. And then you can kind of trickle down from there and like add in the different teams and the different like departments and how they can can support. So for example, in my experience at HubSpot, which I don't know if we're going to talk about that in the piece, but we have like our big, big picture calendar and we have like our product launches or product like updates. And then we have like our, like our offers team or whatever come in with like content offers or CTAs. And we all align these based on like the major keyword research that we've done. But at the end of the day, the blog writers are the most flexible of everyone and we can kind of switch around pieces based on the more rigid the more concrete things that that are going on but regardless we wouldn't know of all of that stuff unless we had a single place for it all to come together and kind of adhere to a certain calendar so do you could you share in that case the content calendar with the product department or is it more of the responsibility of the blog writer to kind of be in the loop of all of that and then bring those pieces in in our case the document is created by our SEO team. um, And it's called the blog insights report now. And it is, yeah, so it starts with the SEO team, passes through the blog team. So we know and we're aware of what our assignments are, but the timeline of those assignments then kind of passes through the filter of like the campaigns team and the offers team and things that they have scheduled that are a little bit more solidified. And then it goes back to the blog writers to understand the order in which we're doing the posts that were assigned. Interesting. Um, I think so HubSpot's organization is more complex than many, but I think an example you could give is AppSumo um, because they source deals from different companies and their partners, you know, that you have to launch something on the the AppSumo platform. Like say there's a Canva uh, alternative, you know, something that you can create imagery, Um, but it doesn't exist now. And it's planned for like a December 15 
launch, um, then having that um, in, in your insights for your editorial calendar can help you plan when you publish articles around Canva alternatives or best graphic design software or like whatever topics you're writing about that and how you plan out the CTAs on those articles. Because if the offer doesn't exist yet, like who knows, you, you might want to like publish those in advance of the, uh, the offer coming on AppSumo's marketplace, but you may not be able to actually like get any signups from it yet. And then on that December 15th date, you could put that on your editorial calendar too, and mark that as a date to go back and update those posts and add CTAs Mm -hmm. for the new, the new product essentially is what that is. Yeah. Right. One other thought too, before I go on, I think a content calendar also helps if this is important to somebody, their public facing properties seem a lot more cohesive. Um, um, especially if there's like a major product launch on the homepage, the top posts on the blog, like reflects that their social media reflects that um, it helps, you know, by staying aligned internally, obviously everything that people turn out can be kind of more cohesive and definitely more consistent from like a customer's perspective. Mm. Well, there's a principle in advertising. It's a frequency and repetition or oh, frequency and repetition are the same thing. Frequency and reach. So it's how many people and who you reach, but then it's also how many times those people hear the same message. Mm -hmm. So repetition, um, it breeds familiarity. So like once you hear that same message over and over, that's the whole point of like television advertising and radio advertising is you hear, you know, I'm loving it or whatever Coca-Cola slogan is now. You hear that over and over again and eventually it implants in your memory. And there's a similar echo effect going on in terms of like digital marketing when the same message mm-hmm. is kind of repeated, it could be in, you know, variations of the message, but on social media, on the blog, from leadership, on LinkedIn, whatever. Um, when you hear it over and over within a set time period, things stick. Um, so that, that can, it's some, it's something that's very difficult to measure, but in terms of like brand awareness and the cohesion of your different campaigns, like that can be pretty valuable as well. Yeah. It's like email campaigns. They say, even if people never open the email, just the fact that they're repetitively seeing your brand in their inbox Mm. over time, it's like subconscious. That's interesting. I've actually never, never thought about that. Sometimes I get too many emails where I'm like, I gotta just get off of this email list. But like, like Brooks brothers, I think I bought some clothes from there years ago. And ever since then they've sent me like an email a day, but now they're like top of mind. Whenever I need new clothes, I'm like, Oh yeah, Brooks Brothers. I could go, go to them. So that actually yeah. is a good example. Yeah, subconscious mind. Cool. That's really good information. Um, okay, before having your content calendarized, is it important to know your marketing end goals and why? Alex, you can take this one first. Yeah, totally. Well, whether you use a content calendar or not, you want to know your marketing end goals. Otherwise, it's going to be Uh, Well, one more chaos. So um, like we were talking about before with regards to like perfectionism, um, if you have a set goal and saying like, hey, we're going to publish four times per week, we're expecting this much traffic in terms of SEO, SEO is the goal and we're expecting to convert users from this content. It gives you a lot more practical, pragmatic lens in order to publish the content that is required for that goal. But then if you don't have goals before you start, it's really easy to paint things with a positive light in hindsight. So you can cherry pick data. And this this happens all the time with brand awareness. I wrote a whole article about this called uh, brand awareness is basically a meaningless metric. It's not. I mean, like if you actually use it um, in like a very objective way, like brand awareness does measure like your recall for your brand and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to have brand awareness I mean, just like tautologically before you have like somebody purchase, somebody needs to be aware of your brand. But I find brand awareness is something that people use as a, uh, an excuse when a campaign doesn't drive actual results. 
So an ad campaign, if it doesn't drive conversions, you can be like, well, look at all the engagement, look at all the awareness. So you can go back and cherry pick goals and be like, you know, the articles aren't driving any, um, any organic traffic, but you know, it was shared like this many times on social and you can start to like look at different metrics and say things were a success, but to keep yourself honest, having those goals up front allows you to objectively say, we either hit this or we didn't. And if we didn't, why? And if we did, that's great. But it gives you mm-hmm. um, intellectual honesty to kind of like review what you've done. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Yeah. And I think the goals not only can affect, you know, what kind of research and what kind of planning you do, but it definitely can affect like how your execution plays out especially if you are sharing your calendar with other teams and efforts and departments um it can obviously affect the timing of everything down to how frequently things are spaced out um especially if it's like a group effort like i said with like the campaigns and the content offers and the blog posts um but it definitely should be like your goal should be established well before they're scheduled poster scheduled it's important yeah mm-hmm. Awesome. The other question I had on here, I don't know if it's a whole separate thing we should do at another time is just why is SEO driven content important? I feel like that's a whole big topic. What do you think? Yeah. Well, that's just something you can map onto in terms of like growth models and like figure out how much um, traffic you should expect if search is your distribution channel, Mm -hmm. which it doesn't need to be, but in terms of like using content marketing as a performance channel, something that is like repeatable, predictable and drives like um, more last touch uh, attribution Then SEO is, is the name of the game. You can't necessarily predict, um, you know, which influencers are going to share your articles and like what the social traffic is going to be on a given piece. That's unpredictable to a certain extent. Now over time you, you could build so, sort of a, uh, you know, a probability distribution. If you have two years of data, you could kind of predict what the probability is that it's going to get 500 versus 5,000 shares. But that usually exists on a non-normal distribution. So it's not like a normally distributed curve. This is getting probably pretty technical in terms of strategic stuff, but SEO is much more predictable. So if you are using it as an acquisition channel, then it's important just because that is one of the main drivers of like demand. You can basically see how much search volume there is for a topic and predict within a degree of certainty how how high of an intent that keyword is and map that onto your goals in terms of like what you should expect from a cost and ROI perspective. But content doesn't need to be used as that. It could be used for customer education. It could be used for brand building. It could be used for sales enablement. So there's a ton of different purposes for writing, you know, so-called content. Content's like a very generic word, but content marketing and blogging in the pursuit of like SEO traffic, um, it's just important from like a, I guess like predicting how much traffic you're going to get perspective. Cool. Yeah, I definitely think this could be a separate piece separate. If, if, we, totally. if we want to. Um, but first, it comes back to those goals that we just talked about, what you'd like your content to do for you. And I think especially being a part of so much of like the research understanding, I think SEO just offers this really interesting perspective into how your audience behaves more than you probably even realize before you start doing the research. So not only do you know like, where to meet your audience, but you know, kind of what to meet them with, like what kind of information and what kind of questions you can answer. And I think that it, I think it's obviously a valuable channel for measuring, predicting, attracting traffic. But I do think that everyone could benefit from the research component to just inherently learn so much more about the people that you're serving with your company. Um, we, even we if you don't do- turn a lot of that research into, into a 
content. We should do a whole piece on um, the title could be like why all content should be SEO driven. Yeah. Um, it's like a controversial thing. It sounds controversial, mm-hmm. but like if you really map it back, it's like what you just said. It's like, even if you're not like focused on getting, you know, acquisition traffic, it's like, that's still, uh, it gives you a lot of valuable insights on your customers. And also, even if the primary purpose is sales enablement or case studies or uh, building influence and authority and credibility or thought leadership, whatever your goal is, even if it's like ButcherBox does recipes for their customers, that's like retention Mm -hmm. content. But why the fuck wouldn't you put a keyword on it and try to rank for it anyway? You know, like as a secondary goal, like all content should be like, at least like try to, you know, put it Optimized, in an yeah. indexable place. We should totally yeah. do an article like that. I, I love that because it totally Sounds accords with yeah. our, our approach. Yeah. It's well, a controversial too. The research I've been doing for this new client, Burris, like I've come across like so many ideas, but the research itself has allowed me to infer that like these people know what they're talking about. Like there's way more search volume around random, random terms. There's like 2000 and must be on like a random gun related term and I'm like these people know I mean they're searching for very specific things and they know exactly what they're doing when they sit down at the keyboard and that not only tells me you know how to maybe tweak some of my research or prep some of these like content ideas but it also gives me ideas for how they can optimize their product pages and like other pieces of content on their website that they're not necessarily you know alongside the other blog posts or types of content that people think of when they think of SEO. 